That's right. That's a little bit of ABBA for your bitch ass. What's up? It's your boy Tommy Gun Tony. This is episode eight of The Angry Ape. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm happy to announce that I did not go one for five on my parlay last week. Uh, ergo, we have episode eight right now. I mean, I made a commitment to you guys. I said if I if I go one for five or worse, zero for five on this parlay, and none of my uh, none of my um, parts of the parlay hit, I wasn't going to continue this podcast. We were going to throw in the towel. We were going to unplug. We were going to say, fuck this shit, I'm out. But you know what, boys? We're going to get into it in a little bit later. But your boy went four of five, which I know we didn't make the money. We didn't hit. But I'm not going to lie. After the rough uh, past couple weeks I had, it seemed like motion in the right direction to go four or five this week on the parlay. So we're going to recap the fights from UFC 272. What a great night it was. Um, I'm not going to have as in-depth commentary on most of the early prelims or prelims just because it was... Uh, my buddy Joel's birthday, and we were out celebrating Joel's birthday Saturday night, and uh, I was watching on my phone, and on my buddy's Billy's phone, and on whatever TV we could manage to watch these fights uh, Saturday. So I'm going to give you guys the best commentary possible, and recap these fights, and talk about the parlay, which one hit, or which four hit, and which one didn't hit. Um, I feel so dumb after watching the fight that ended my parlay because had I done the research I needed to do, I honestly felt like I would have changed the parlay and we would have gone five for five. Um, That's neither here nor there. We're going to get into that in a minute. Let's first go through some MMA news. You know, we got this big, beautiful world of mixed martial arts and there's just news happening every day. And um, I got some crazy shit to show you guys today. Uh, starting with our girl, Kayla Harrison, PFL champ. Um, She has signed a multi-year deal with the PFL. So uh, any hopes of getting Kayla um, to uh, come aboard at the UFC was definitely closed out with this signing. Um, Let's go ahead and get into the article. MMA News, the rumors that Kayla Harrison has re-signed with the PFL on a multi-year deal has been confirmed. Um, she's staying home. The two-time PFL lightweight tournament winner has resigned with the promote has resigned with the promotion following a free agent period. Um, when she was reportedly talking to UFC and Bellator, um, here's my logic. You know, the girl has won the PFL lightweight tournament now twice. Uh, each time she wins that tournament, she makes a million bucks, you know, so she's, just on her two wins has got two mil in the bank and the girl probably thinks she's on a path to win that mill again and make it three mil you know um a two-time olympic gold medal winning judoka was among the hottest free agents in mixed martial arts history after securing her second one million dollar tournament under the pfl banner there were talks about her joining the ufc for a super fight against um the reigning UFC women's featherweight champion Amanda Nunez are making a jump to Bellator to fight their women's featherweight champion Chris Cyborg. Uh, let me just say, either of those fights would be fucking awesome. You know, um, this girl is so strong, Kayla Harrison. It's 
it's scary. I mean, looking at her picture, dude, she's got like, she's got like 24 inch pipes. I mean, the girl's jacked. Her lats are huge. I mean, you could throw this woman off a building and she could spread her arms and fly. Those lats are so big. She's she's a scary scary bitch, um, and I and I say that with the utmost respect. Um, her fighting Cyborg or her fighting Amanda Nunez would be amazing fights. I don't know how. I don't know if maybe because Amanda Nunez lost that last fight uh, against Juliana Pena that maybe she didn't want that fight now. You know, she wanted an established champion who's defended the belt a few times like she has, and maybe her fighting Juliana Pena wasn't the fight that she needed. Um, so with Amanda going down and Juliana stepping up, maybe that was uh, Kayla's like sign to stay at PFL for one more year and win this tournament one more time. But uh, she it is confirmed, has signed a multi-deal or multi-year extension with the PFL. Um, and uh, we wish her the best. And hopefully she wins this tournament again this year. And, I mean, it says multi-year, so that's leading me to think that it's not going to be a one-and-done. Um, if it's anything like her last deal, we could maybe expect... Uh, breaking news, ESPN. Um, we can maybe expect that uh, she has at least two years with PFL before she decides to go anywhere else. So maybe 2025 we could be talking about a uh, PFL um, or a UFC basically opening or a, or a UFC uh, debut for Kayla Harrison. Um, moving along. Next item on our uh, MMA news, we got Brock Lesnar has officially closed the door on a UFC return. I mean, come on. Did we not Did we not already know this? I mean, the dude is fucking 44 years old. What was the chance that he was signing with the UFC again and he was making a comeback in the UFC? I didn't say, I never thought that would happen, you know, um, I don't think anyone had any inclination that he was even thinking about coming back. You know, to me, that just seems like an absolutely dumb decision for Lesnar. He's doing well in, in uh, wrestling right now. I'm pretty sure he's back in wrestling. He's making his money. You're 44 years old, dude. You do not need, in, in no world, do you need to go back to UFC. Um to try to do something in the heavyweight division against the likes of Cyril Gaon or Tai Tuavasa or, God forbid, Francis Ngannou gets into the ring and, and just puts Brock Lesnar to sleep. I mean, do yourself a favor, big dog, and just kind of, I don't know, stay where you're at. Um, it's, it's, you know what? It, he even says something nice here in this article. Um, the way he, he the way he words it is good. That door is closed. Dana White and the Ferretta brothers were exceptional to me. Um, I'm too old. That's a young man's sport, and that door is closed. I'm Brock Lesnar, the WWE superstar. So I don't know who had it in their idea or had it in their heads that he was thinking about making a UFC comeback. Clearly, the man himself doesn't want to. So I just think that's, this was a dumb, dumb article to write in the first place. 
like what in, I'm thinking in my head, like what stirred this back up? What rumor did someone spew out that led them to believe that Brock Lesnar was going to make a comeback in the UFC at 44 fucking years old? It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, his last fight was against Mark Hunt at UFC 200 in June of 2016. So that's six years ago the man fought in the UFC, uh, 38 years old. Uh, and the fight was overturned to a no contest, even though he won, because I think it was later found out that he had tested positive for some banned substances. Um, do you expect anything different, though? The man is an absolute, like, giant. I mean, he's 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 he's, he's a gorilla, you know. Um, it, Brock Lesnar has no business back in the UFC at 44 years old, and I think he even he agrees with that. So. Um, Next we got, uh, what's next for Colby Covington? All right, so obviously we're going to talk about it on the recap, but Covington put absolute work in this weekend and, in my opinion, made Jorge Masvidal look like a soft journeyman. And I want to preface that by saying I have respect for Jorge Masvidal, I think some of the knockouts in his career have been absolutely outstanding. Um, for someone to start in backyard brawls with Kimbo Slice in in the absolute slums of Miami, grinding it from the bottom up to get to the point where he is now, where he's a now top five highest paid UFC fighters on the roster, I got nothing but respect for Jorge. You know, I mean, an absolute champion in the sense that he has established an amazing career for himself. That being said, the dude got bodied by Colby Covington this weekend. All right. There were clean shots thrown on both sides, but it, it just seemed like he had no answer for Colby's ground game. And even Jorge said that after the fight. He said, my wrestling was, wasn't where it needed to be. My wrestling was subpar, blah, blah, blah. He even acknowledges his, he even acknowledged his shortcomings. So, in my opinion, right, we're, we're talking about what's next for Colby. Um, here's what I'm thinking, right? Colby fought Usman before this, lost by a decision. Do I see Dana giving Colby another shot after this performance? Quite possibly, you know? He could think uh, Colby is is trained up right now. He's hot. He's got this momentum after this Masvidal fight. If he goes into a Usman camp the same way he did this last one and focuses on his wrestling and maintaining ground control, I, I think it would be hard for Usman to have the kind of fight that he had last with Colby where he was on his feet a lot. You know, I think if Colby's able to get Usman to the ground like he did the Masvidal, there's a very good chance we could be looking at the new welterweight champion coming up. You know, I don't necessarily know if Dana thinks that's the best move for that division, though. Um, in my opinion, it would make more sense for Colby to drop down weight and fight in the weight class with Poirier, 
Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Conor McGregor. What a fucking division that would be if Colby jumps in there. You know, uh, we heard Colby after his fight call out um, Dustin Poirier in a obviously a very shrewd and distasteful fashion. Um, I got my own thoughts on that. You know, I, I've heard on JRE from Joe Rogan that Colby in real life is like one of the nicest, most genuine people you could ever meet. And he has adopted this kind of bad boy of the UFC persona to help uh, sell tickets and pay-per-view and to kind of give himself that brand. You know, he's playing into the brand that he created for himself um, with everything that's been going on, you know, with his uh, with his either his shitty attitude or his shit talking or just his general like asshole demeanor that he kind of puts on whenever he's inside the octagon or inside that building, one of those UFC buildings. And it's, it's one of those things where I don't really know because I've, I've never met Colby personally myself. I can only base off, base this off of what I've heard. Um, but it's, it seems, it seems that his move is to get under someone's skin to the point where they want to take the fight and I'll give it. I'll give it to him. You know, he's like a master at building his brand and cre- and generating hype behind his name. Um, the fact that you come out of a win like that after beating Jorge Masvidal so distinctively and immediately call out Dustin Poirier, who is an absolute like liability to anyone he fights. You know, I mean, I think that Poirier Oliveira fight was simply. Dustin not being as prepared uh, for submission attempts, and and he gave up his back to Charles Oliveira, which ended up in that choke, which ended the fight. Um, I could easily see that happening again to Dustin with Colby, but I feel like there's a different kind of animosity between Colby and Dustin that wasn't there between Dustin and Charles Oliveira. Uh, Charles is like one of the most respectful people you'll ever step into a ring with. He's got nothing bad to say against anyone. You can shit talk him all you want. He'll smile and and uh, looks like he doesn't understand you because he probably doesn't. You know, unless he's got a translator speaking Portuguese in his ear, he's probably not realizing all the shit you're saying. Um, so there wasn't that animosity between Dustin and Charles where I feel like when Colby and Dustin get paired up, if that is to happen... Um, Oh my God. I mean, the shit talking is going to be absolute next level. Dustin has come out publicly and already said that um, he will not fight Colby in the octagon. Uh, he says that he does not want Colby to make a dime off of his career, which I don't think, in my opinion, is kind of like a uh, uh, interesting way to look at it because Colby pretty much, in my opinion, has generated kind of the same relative hype as uh, Dustin has. Um, but Dustin has said easily he'll fight him in the streets. So, I mean, God forbid Colby and Dustin ever cross paths in like uh, uh, a setting outside of of a gym or an event. Like, say they're both leaving UFC 273. They're both spectating and they're both leaving and they get into a fucking parking lot brawl. Like, never back down. Oh my God. How fucking awesome would that be? Just beat the shit out of each other. Someone's coming off the ground with chunks of asphalt stuck in their cheek it'd be awesome you know it'd be absolutely awesome and uh they'd probably end up in jail but 
I, I personally don't think Dustin is going to take the bait that Colby set out at the end of UFC 272. We'll have to just wait and see. Um, and then the, obviously the third rumor with Colby is that uh, he he's made a comment recently saying like he would love to make the transition into uh, uh, wrestling, professional wrestling, like WWE. What a personality. I mean, is there a better, obviously like he's kind of in the, the peak right now. The guy's in amazing shape. His wrestling's phenomenal. His striking's good. One thing I noticed in that fight with Jorge, what we'll talk about later, is the guy doesn't let off the gas once, you know? Um, that kind of energy it would be like nothing but magnetic in WWE. You know, he's got the personality. He's got the shit talking. He's got the whole uh, America, fuck yeah, thing behind him. You know, he he loves having all that attention on himself. And I think, in my opinion, if he's serious about it and he made a run in WWE, the guy would have massive success on par with Ronda Rousey. I mean, that's a great example of someone who took their uh, their fame from the UFC and transferred it into WWE and has just taken off. You know, I mean, the girl's killing it. And I believe Colby uh, could do the exact same. Um, yeah, I mean, fighting in this weight class or fighting with uh, Justin Gaethje or Poirier could be the move. I mean, depending on where that division is going with these next couple title fights, uh, I could see him going down in weight if he uh, decides that you know what, I don't want to take that Usman fight too. I'm probably not going to win. I mean, Usman is a scary dude. I mean, Kamaru is, we talked about it last week, pound for pound, the best fighter in the world right now. Um, getting anyone to fight him right now is a task in its own. So I just think if I'm Colby, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking uh, Usman too, unless I'm securely confident that I can beat him. Um, Maybe a switch in weight class is what he needs, and he gets a nice high rank switched in the weight, and he works his way up in a lighter division. So I'm curious to see the future for Colby Covington, um, especially after the dominant performance he had last weekend. All right. Oh, so <laughs> this is uh, probably my favorite story from the weekend or early week. Um, so we we may have lost the parlay. And I told you guys it was only a $25 bet, and it wasn't a lot of money. It was We would have won a lot more if we hit the whole parlay, but we went 4 or 5. But regardless, we lost. But there is someone who lost a lot worse than we did. And uh, he is a famous rapper, and his name is Drake. And uh, Drake made a very sizable bet on Jorge Masvidal. Uh, to defeat Colby Covington Saturday. A uh, sizable bet in uh, the likes of $275,000. Um, I'm not quite sure what the payout would have been. I mean, if uh, Jorge was plus, let's just say plus 200, you know, he, he would have made 500, 600 something thousand dollars. 500 and uh, $550,000, right? That's, that's, that's not. Yeah, maybe five five hundred fifty thousand dollars estimate. You know, after betting two seventy five on uh, Jorge Masvidal, <laughs> he <laughs> J 
trying to make peaceful is admittedly a struggle for Drake and the Canadian rapper. Um, he's probably less enthused after losing that $275,000. He uh, made the wager on Jorge, who clearly lost to Colby, um, and won by unanimous decision. And uh, obviously, when a celebrity makes a bet of that size, um, and it's against you, and you win, you're going to talk shit after. And uh, the king of talking shit, in my opinion, is Conor McGregor, but the prince of talking shit has got to be Colby Covington. And uh, after the fight, Colby Covington says, Drake needs to go back to selling those shitty albums to recoup the money from his losing bet on Jorge Masvidal. (laughs) Um Perhaps Covington was uh, underwhelmed by the uh, Certified Loverboy album. I mean, I know I was. wasn't my favorite Drake album he's released. Um, or maybe he didn't care for the Way Too Sexy video featuring uh, Kawhi Leonard. But despite the galling sum Drake lost, um, you know, Drake's going to be all right. He's got a fuckload of money. Um, it's not going to... In the words of Chris D'Elia, not a then, you know, um, Drake didn't, this isn't causing Drake to lose any sleep, but it does provide us uh, with some good content for Colby Covington to come out and say some absolutely absurd shit. Uh, Jorge Masvidal did also respond, um, and I guess he feels bad (laughs) for Drake losing that much money because Jorge tweeted after the fight. Next time you in Miami, dinner on me, at Drake. So he's going to try to recuperate, or he's going to try to make up for that loss that that Drake had by buying him dinner. Um, I mean, that's just like the icing on the cake, you know? Hey, you didn't, you may have lost $275,000, but you can have dinner with the loser now. So that, that made me chuckle. I thought that would... Uh, would bring you guys some joy as well. Um, all right. So Bisping on JRE this week. Uh, wow. What a great episode. I mean, I'm currently got like 30 to 40 minutes of it left. Um, it's, it's been so like illuminating as far as like, uh, information into like the history of the UFC. Um, Bisping is an absolute animal. I mean, I I can't say enough other than listen to this podcast that Joe put out last week with Bisping. It was an it was an MMA focused one, um, like he normally does those MMA shows. Um, Michael Bisping is a fucking gangster. The dude, like blatantly, without like any hesitation, just like told the entire population of Joe Rogan listeners that he cheated his medical exams like the last 10 years he was fighting. So in short, the man fought um, enough times to where he was getting hit in the same spot on his eye where he had a detached, uh, partial detached retina, which eventually became a fully detached retina, um, broken orbital socket, the whole nine yards. The guy was in risk of losing his eye 10 years ago, right? And continued to fight no matter what. He's like, I got bills to pay. He was in some kind of janky lawsuit with former management or former coaching. 
and uh, the guy needed money. So he was basically saying that he would go to these doctor visits where they would do medical examinations and clear him to fight. Because, like, if you think about it, like, I had surgery this past year. Before I had surgery, I had to be cleared uh, by another doctor to prove I was healthy enough for surgery. And it's the same principle for UFC. Dana requires that these fighters have a medical examination to some extent if they have pre-existing injuries or uh, an issue that has been brought to the attention of the UFC. Because Dana doesn't want to get into a situation where uh, this fighter could potentially ruin the rest of their life by um, fighting injured or fighting um, or fighting just not okay. Uh, guys, I got to pee. We're going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. And we're back. Sorry about that, guys. I had to take a piss and uh, had a phone call for work. Um, listen, back to Bisping. What I was saying, the guy basically explained on JRE that he uh, had to cheat through his medical exams to be able to pass the uh, optical tests uh, required to uh, fight for or, or to make you know, medical clearance to fight these fights he was, he was, he was in, you know, um, he went as far as to say that he would get into the doctor's office early, the optometrist's office early, memorize the top couple lines on the eye chart, you know, like E, 3, 4, B, Z, all that shit on the white. And they would, the letters would get smaller and smaller as you go down. Well, Bisping would realize that he only needed to memorize like the top three lines and the dude would literally read it off with his good eye and then when they made him switch to the bad eye he would he said he would take like an acting class he would he would pretend like he was acting and he'd be like uh h b four three and he would get it right and the doctor would be like all right you're good but the guy could not see shit he was blind he, he, he said in the podcast, if he covered his good eye, the only thing his bad eye could see were different variant shades of black. Okay? The guy is legally blind. All right? He took out his prosthetic eye on JRE, and we could see the black void go to the back of his head. It was bad ass. I got so much more respect for Michael Bisping after listening to this podcast. The guy fought with everything that he got. He did everything for his family, you know, and he just wanted to be the best fighter there was at at that time, you know, and he didn't want to let any medical um, medical reason hold him back from doing that. I mean, what an absolute fucking animal Michael Bisping was. Um, he, I mean, clearly... At some point, right, he wins the title um, and, and eventually retires. I think a lot of that retiring has to do with the fact that, like, if you get if you get hit in your good eye enough, right, you could have the same issue happen. And now you're 100% blind. You know, you're what kind of quality of life are you having if you literally cannot see fucking anything? You know, you could have all the money in the world and all this reputation and all this fame and and all the accolades that come with it. But if you can't fucking see anything for the second half of your life, to me, that's not worth it. And I think Bisping at some point realized that and said, you know what? 
I got to make a change. Um, I'm so happy the dude is commentating. Um, this was the first uh, UFC event that Joe Rogan and Bisping were both commentators for. Uh, we missed Daniel Cormier this weekend. Apparently he had a family member pass away. And uh, um, our thoughts and prayers go out to you, DC. You're the fucking man. Um, and we really hope and wish for you the best in your time of, uh, your time of turmoil right now and grief. Um, just, just nobody we're, we're thinking about you. Um, but wow, what a great, great combination and collaboration when it's Joe Rogan and Michael Bisping up there. I mean, they were having a great time. It seemed like in the booth, um, commentating this event. I, I just, my only regret was that I wasn't sitting at home watching this event with the TV turned up full out because I missed a lot of the commentation, but the stuff that I did here was fantastic. Um, anyway, Bisping's a fucking animal. The one thing I'd really, I want to touch on that I took away from that podcast was that, uh, Bisping says, uh, McGregor, Conor McGregor can beat Charles Oliveira this year, given a title shot. Um, that was an absurd statement to me uh, when I had first uh, heard it. Um, it seems like it was a bit of a stretch after the last couple performances Connor's had. Now, you got to think Connor fought Dustin, snapped his leg in half. We never really got to see the full outcome of that fight. It did seem like Dustin was putting it to him. Um, but there is that feeling of something that. Like something was left out, you know, uh, we, we kind of get the sense that we were cheated from a finish, like the proper, the proper finish, you know, that we were waiting for. Um, it wasn't a Dustin Poirier submission. It wasn't a Conor McGregor knockout. It wasn't, uh, anything along those lines. It was a medical stoppage, you know, I mean, his fucking foot snapped in half, um, was gruesome. You know, I, 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 my least favorite thing about the UFC is what was, was, has, has been when I saw Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman and Conor McGregor snap their legs in half. I mean, just disgusting. Oh, it's, it's horrifying. It, it just, it's like, it reminds me of that scene in Harry Potter where, uh, where the guy's trying to fix his arm and he casts the spell, and Harry's arm turns into a noodle, and, like, there's no bone in it at all. And um, you, you see these impacts when these guys check a leg kick, um, and sometimes it snaps on the check, or when they throw the kick and the guy checks it, and it wraps around the other guy's shin, and it snaps instantly. Connors was scary because he checked the kick, put his foot back down behind him, and it's like the check cracked it, cracked the bone, and then when he put his weight on his back foot afterwards, that's what snapped the bone in half, and you just saw his leg turn to, to gum, basically, like a fucking pool noodle, and um, God, it was gross, so we, we kind of got robbed at the end of that fight by knowing like what actually was going to happen. If I had to take a guess, Poirier was going to walk out of there with either a decision win or possibly a knockout. I just don't know if Connor was in the right headspace for that fight. Um, that being said, you all have seen the pictures recently. Connor, since breaking his leg, has become an absolute jack gorilla. In, I mean, the guy just must be 
he literally had to skip leg day because his leg was broken. Um, what an amazing excuse. I wish I had a broken leg so I could just train upper body seven days of the week, you know, but I do that. And then I got chicken legs and, uh, uh, it doesn't look good, you know, and I got no excuse. I don't have the excuse to say I broke my leg. This guy has gotten monstrous sized. I don't know how much weight he's put on. Clearly that weight is able to come off if he needs to make a weight cut. Um, but this guy's got new muscle and I'd be willing to bet new power to come with that muscle. And I think, I mean, I wouldn't want to get fucking hit by a Conor McGregor hook haymaker jab right now. I mean, the, the fucking force and, and velocity and power behind that right now must be terrifying. So Bisping thinks Conor McGregor has a shot at defeating Charles Oliveira should the two ever meet sometime this year. Right. Um, he says that uh, Oliver is hittable and Conor McGregor can fucking hit. He's fast and Charles is hittable. I'm just saying. There's a potential that Conor comes back, beats Charles Oliveira, and becomes the champion again. Um, that's a quote from Michael Bisping directly. Uh, here's what I feel like would have to happen, right? Gaethje and Oliveira already have that title shot confirmed, right? Um Possibly, Gaethje beats Oliveira, right? Oliveira falls back in the rank, one or two spots. That would be a good fight then for Connor to get back into the upper ranking of the UFC. Obviously, I wouldn't want to see that kind of fall with Charles Oliveira. He's an amazing, talented fighter. Um, he's he's got ridiculous submissions. Uh, I love it when he can get on your fucking back and choke you while he's just hugging you like a freaking koala bear and just puts that pressure on that neck, that neck crank, that choke, and you're tapping out. I mean, it, it, the guy's fun to watch, and he's got an amazing heart, and he uh, has so much pride for Brazil and, and bringing home championship belts or defending his championship belt in the name of Brazil. Like It's so hard not to like Charles Oliveira. That being said, hypothetically, Gaethje wins that fight. Oliveira drops down. Connor and Oliveira would be a great fight for Connor to get his feet back in the door. And according to um, Michael Bisping, it's an absolute possibility for Connor to uh, win that fight because Charles is hittable and Connor can, according to Michael Bisping, fucking hit. Um, the flip side of that, right, is Oliveira wins against Gaethje, right? And. In my opinion, the next title shot after that fight should go to Islam Makachev, right? Um, Islam Makachev versus Justin Gaethje. I think Islam Makachev takes that fight, becomes the new champ. Um, and like I said, that's the that's that situation where Gaethje beats Oliveira, takes the belt, and then Makachev takes the belt immediately from Gaethje, right? Um Oliveira wins that fight. Gaethje goes down, right? Islam fights. See, this is tough because I could see, I could see Islam and Charles Oliveira fighting. You got two guys that are great at submitting people. That would be a hell of a fight. I don't see that as sellable as far as pay-per-view as Conor McGregor versus Charles Oliveira. It, it gives me that kind of sense that Dana would almost want to set up an opportunity for Connor to win the belt, take the belt back, and then 
you send Islam up to try to take the belt away from Connor. Because when Connor's on a card, the pay-per-view fucking sells. I don't think I don't think Islam Makachev versus Justin Gaethje or Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira. I don't think either of those fights sell nearly comparatively if Conor McGregor is in either one of those spots. So that's something to look out for. I, I, I absolutely see an opportunity for Conor to get some kind of comeback this year. Um, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's been nearly six years since Conor's won his last title fight in MMA um, that he took off Eddie Alvarez, you know? Um, following the title win, we saw McGregor fight uh, Floyd Mayweather. He fought Khabib and lost his belt to Khabib. Um, then he came back and fought Donald Cerrone. And then since that win over Cerrone, has lost twice to Dustin Poirier. Um, with now their series between each other as at a 2-3 Poirier, 1-3 McGregor. Um, people are saying McGregor could fight Poirier again for a fourth fight, being that that last fight didn't uh, go the way Connor wanted it to. You know, it, it didn't end the way we wanted it to see it as fans. Um, I could absolutely see a fourth fight happening between Connor and Dustin, uh, just because there is bad blood there. It's kind of unfinished business. And I don't know if there has ever been a. I mean, we know about the sequels, we know about the trilogies. I don't know if there's ever been a, a four fight anthology, I guess you would call it, between any two fighters in the UFC. I'd have to look that up, but I th it, it might be the fourth encounter. It might be the first fourth encounter between two fighters in UFC history, and I think that would be pretty spectacular as well. So, all right, that's uh, that's all I got as far as my news. Um, oh, last thing. I'm sorry. I, I do have one more thing, and this is kind of sad and depressing. So I don't know how much you guys have heard about this Cain Velasquez story. Um, I'm going to give you the gist of it. Long story short, Cain Velasquez found out that this guy was uh, molesting his four-year-old daughter for an extended period of time. Um, and in retaliation to that, tracked down the man uh, and shot at what he thought was the person responsible for his daughter's um, molesting the person responsible for molesting their daughter. It turns out that the the man responsible for molesting Cain Velasquez's daughter was not who was hit. The person that was hit was the molester's father, right? Um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and justify uh, what Cain did in the sense of... Um, whether it was right or was it wrong. Clearly, he got the wrong guy. I think if Kane had a clear head and not necessarily a clear head, but just maybe more time in that situation to assess or if as much emotion wasn't involved as it was, which could potentially be an impossible thing because of 
the nature of the situation. Uh, Kane made a mistake and shot the wrong guy um, and is now being charged with attempted murder. Um, let me first say that I'm not a parent. Uh, I do not have any children. Um, but if I did have a child, and I'm sure that one day when I do have children, that same kind of animosity and, and that uh, nature, animalistic drive to protect your youngling or your child, you know, um, would kick in and you would do absolutely anything to, uh, to make that situation right. I 100% have not a single fucking issue at all with Cain Velasquez wanting to put a bullet in that man's fucking head. All right? In no way do I condone murder. In no way do I condone attempted murder. In no way do I condone uh, violence outside of the octagon. You know, um, we have a legal system in place, so things like this don't happen. But can you sit back within, with an unbiased mind and say that you would not have done the exact same thing had the opportunity presented it to yourself? I don't think I could. I don't think I could say I would have done. The, I don't think I could say I would have done the opposite. I think if I had a gun in my car and someone had just molested or raped or done anything sexual to a fucking four-year-old, that I probably would have reacted the same way and I would have wanted retribution, revenge, blood sacrifice. And it's unfortunate that Cain got the guy's father and not the actual fucking piece of shit molester himself. Um, but... The aftermath of this is now very messy in that Kane is now in a legal battle and could potentially be in a legal battle for quite a while um, defending himself and trying to make a case to say, you know what, I acted in extreme emotional distress. Um, I, I, my, my four-year-old was molested. I didn't know what else to do, you know? And I think to some degree there might be a chance where he could... Uh, he could then escape or get out of this uh, scot-free because of that situation, you know, have, if that situation is proven factual. Um, I did read an article, however, saying that uh, the judge that is overseeing the case may not be as lenient towards this issue as some of us may be um, or may, may look at it. Um, this is one of those situations where it's like we kind of just got to let it play out and see what happens, you know. But the amazing side of this, right, the, the, the positive in all of this disgusting and uh, all of this disgusting, just absolute putrid shit storm that he's now dealing with is that the support and love that he is getting from fellow MMA fighters and UFC uh, brethren to him is incredible. I mean, the guy is uh, clearly um, 
clearly loved by his peers, clearly loved by uh, the people that he worked with in the UFC. Um, for this many people to reach out and say, like, this is one of the best guys, one of the nicest guys, you know, that they ever had the pleasure of fighting with or training or training with or whatever, excuse me. They, they're in full support of what happened because in their mind, they're thinking, if this was me and this happened to my kid, fuck, I would have done the same thing. The only reason why I can't definitively say that as I would do the same thing is because I don't have a child right now, but I'd like to think I would do the same thing. You know, I'd have enough fucking balls to pull out a gun and pop the guy who fucking raped or molested my child, four-year-old child. I, I still can't believe it. It makes me sick to my stomach. Dana White, Khabib, um, Derek Brunson, right to the judge requesting Cain Velasquez be granted bail. Um, I believe he was denied bail uh, because the risk is too great uh, due to his extreme recklessness, is what the uh, judge said in his letters regarding the denied bail. Um According to TMZ Sports, over 30 people wrote letters to Judge Shaynala Brown requesting that she let Velasquez post bail. Among the people to advocate for Velasquez was UFC President Dana White, uh, welterweight champion Kamara Usman, former lightweight champ Khabib, and former two-time division holder Henry Cujo. Um, I'd like also like to shout out to Derek Brunson. I think in two days he raised like... It was either ten or thirty thousand dollars in donations to help Kane with his legal costs during all this. Um, I mean, Derek Brunson, you're you're a man of the people. Uh, I, I I already liked you. I like you even more now for doing what you did for Kane. I mean, it's it's a sh true sign of just being uh, selfless and willing to help those who need help. Um, a little bit more on all this. Just to give you guys a background, Velasquez was arrested on February 28th after allegedly attempting to shoot and kill 43-year-old Harry uh, Galarte. The 39-year-old retired fighter allegedly fired shots into a vehicle and hit Galarte's stepfather, Paul Bender, in the arm and torso. Bender was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. So, you can imagine this. This guy is so fucking worked up. He's freaking out. You know, his, his daughter... He's finding out that his four-year-old has been raped. He finds this guy in his car and just unloads through the window and misses the guy and hits the stepfather. I mean, talk about, like, I'm sure this guy is just, Kane is just beating himself up. Not because of what he did, because he fucking missed, you know? Four more inches to the right, he could have had that dude laid out in the car. You know, Dead getting exactly what he deserves for, for, for molesting a four-year-old child. But that's not what happened. And Galarte's stepfather, Paul Bender, was shot in the arm and torso. Luckily, they were non-threatening injuries, and he was he was uh, um, given medical treatment. Um, what is absolutely disgusting and a true testament to everything that's wrong with our legal system is that Galarte, who was the one that was accused of molesting Velasquez's, uh, Kane's child, was released on February 25th without bail uh, against the district attorney's wishes, right? So the district attorney requested that this guy be held without bail 
and confined so as to not do something like this again. So you can imagine you're the father of a child who whose child has been molested repeatedly for a long time by one person and that person gets let out free or, or just is able to walk the streets until their trial. Are you fucking kidding me? Kane couldn't contain himself. He got in his car. He probably drove around the city just looking for anybody that looked like the guy. You know? So, in a sense, I can understand the judge's decision because of the extreme recklessness. It's just, in my opinion, it's all emotional distress, though. I mean, God, the guy's going through a fucking absolute shitstorm right now dealing with all this. I, I, I can't imagine I would have reacted any differently. And... This is exactly why people are disgusted with the criminal justice system, and, and rightfully so. Um, Velasquez's court date is set for April 12th. He won't be able to request bail again unless the district attorney adds or drops charges. Um, I'll keep you guys updated on this, and uh, hopefully this works out in favor of Kane and uh, this piece of fucking shit, Galarty, goes to jail for the rest of his life. Fuck you, Harry Galarty. You're a piece of fucking shit, you nasty motherfucker. All right, enough with the sad stuff. Enough with the depressing stuff. Let's get right into the recap from this weekend. Uh, we're going to fly through this till we get to the main card. And, uh, yeah, let's fucking do it. So, Dustin Jacoby versus Michael Olesnajuk. Uh Dustin Jacoby uh, got a unanimous decision win after three rounds. I said that on the... Um, on the predictions, I would look just by looking at this picture. I was like, "This Dustin Jacoby's a mean motherfucker," and uh, the guy got the unanimous decision. So that one definitely, definitely worked out in my favor. Um, lightweight bout between Devontae Smith and uh, Ludovic Klein. Uh, Klein won by a split decision. Uh, this fight seemed very even most of the fight. Um, Devontae Smith was the minus one fifty-five. Klein was the plus one thirty-five. This was our first. Uh, underdog win of the night, which was pretty cool. Um, next up, we had uh, Tim Elliott versus Tajir Ulanbakov. Uh, this is another one I called. I said Tim Elliott, they're putting him as the underdog at a plus 205, and Tajir was uh, minus 255. I Listen, there's at, to some extent, you can't, like, you can't look at odds without looking at the guy's record as, like, where he's at in his career, you know? Tim Elliott is a absolute vet in the UFC. He's got a ton of wins under his belt, you know, just ton of fights in general. And the guy put a statement out there Saturday night, winning this fight by unanimous decision um, against a very talented Tajir uh, Ulanbakov. So uh, congrats, Tim. We were rooting for you. That's another one I called accurately. Uh, next up, we got a featherweight bout between Brian Keeler and uh, Umar uh, Nurmagadov. Um, I'm pretty sure this is another uh, Dakistanian, if I had to guess correctly. Let me pull this up real quick. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, yeah, Republic of Dagestan. <laughs> These guys, man, I don't know what they got in the water in Dagestan, but I just feel like if you come out of this place, your life is so rough that 
like your younger, your upbringing is so rough that you come into this, this world just with an absolute chip on your shoulder, ready to destroy anyone in your path. And, uh, Umar, uh, definitely, definitely came in clutch this weekend. Uh, he was the highest, I believe the highest favorited fighter of the night at a minus 675 and, uh, submitted Brian Keeler in the first round within two minutes, like less than two minutes time, got the submission and won. Uh, absolute statement in that featherweight division. I'd like to continue to watch Umar in the future and see where he progresses to. All right, next up we got uh, Marnia Moroz versus Mariana Agapova. Um, round two submission win by Morozov. Um, Moroz, Moroz. Moraz Mariana Marzov. I can't, still can't remember this lady's name. Uh, she was the underdog, uh, plus 155, uh, minus 180 for Agapova. Uh, she was a second round submission. So I mean, this is I mean, guys, I'm 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 telling you now, we got to keep looking out for these underdogs because we had a bunch of underdogs win on the prelims and the early prelims Saturday. Um, moving along to a guy that uh, they were talking about this week. Um, on the UFC website as a uh, threat in this division, this light heavyweight division was Kennedy. Uh, Nishchukwu was a minus 145 versus Nikolay Nagumaranu. Um, Nagumaranu was a plus 125 and won via split decision. These guys went to war with each other. Um, they, they really left it all out on the mat. Like I say, I mean, sometimes you get these split decision wins and it kind of looks like they just did enough to barely secure the win. This one, it seemed like it could have gone either way. You know, I mean, I, I don't score these fights. I'd really like to one week just sit down and uh, uh, and score these fights without betting. I might do that this weekend, to be honest. I think uh, that'd be a great, that'd be a good switch uh, swap up for me. I looked at the card this weekend on the fight night card. There's not a lot of big names on there um, and not a lot of fights that I'm super comfortable uh, betting on uh, just because I'm I just not very... Uh, aware of a lot of these people on this card, which just means I'm going to pay attention to it a lot when I watch these fights this weekend. But I think it would be interesting if instead of betting on these fights this Saturday, I pull out my notebook and pen and I try to score these events live as they're happening and see if my scoring goes along with any of these uh, decisions, whether they're unanimous or split decision. And just kind of see where my scores fall along with uh, the scores of the... um, the guys calling the fight when they announce those scores at the end. So, uh, Nikolai, congrats, buddy. Plus 125 underdog um, gets that split decision win. Next up, we got uh, Marina Rodriguez versus Yan Jio Yang. Um, this one was another split decision win um, that Rodriguez took. She was a minus 255 favorite, uh, plus 205. I, I mean, I didn't bet on this one, but God, if I did, this one would have made me. This one would have made me nervous because I mean, I like minus two fifty-five numbers for favorites, and uh, for this to come down to a split decision was great. I mean, and 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 just a, a, a testament to Jan Gio uh, Jan and her uh, just toughness and grit and being able to stand out there and go toe to toe with Mariana Rodriguez. So, uh, great, great fight. Uh, last fight on the main card was uh, Jalen Turner versus Jamie Malarkey. We had a second round knockout uh, TKO by Jalen Turner. Um, 
this kid came out absolutely swinging. Um, Malarkey came out swinging too. I mean, these guys wanted to go to war with each other, and I think that's what happened. Uh, Turner just got the best of him and and ended up uh, putting him out and ending that fight in the second round with like 45 seconds left in that second round. So um, Jalen Turner, definitely someone we're going to keep our eyes on moving forward. Uh, the guy definitely has some skill and uh, has, uh, in my opinion, uh, the opportunity to make a name for himself in that lightweight division. So, all right, moving on to the main card and moving on to our five-fight parlay. So just to recap, our parlay, we took Sergey Spivak, Kevin Holland, Edison Barbosa, Rafael Dos Anjos, and Colby Covington, right? So in this main card, right, we had four favorites that we took and one underdog. Um, this was one of those weekends, guys, where the favorites hit, you know, in that main card, which was kind of fucking crazy because we had a lot of underdogs that didn't hit, you know, or we had a lot of underdogs in the prelims or the early prelims that did hit. You know, uh, we didn't bet on those, but uh, just some of the ones I was calling in the last episode, just like I said, Tim Elliott, stuff like that, um, multiple, multiple underdogs hit. It was kind of crazy to me that there wasn't even, there wasn't one underdog that hit on this main card. Um, starting with the fight five, Spivak versus Greg Hardy. I... Don't want to say I told you so, but I fucking told you so. Greg Hardy has a weak motherfucking chin. He's gotten knocked out. I believe now this is three fights in a row, right? And I mean, Sergey manhandled him. It, it, you, you see glimpses of like real raw power from Greg Hardy, and like it's kind of scary. Like it, it, it'll make you think, like, wow, this guy could make connection and end the fight, you know, but Sergey just looked more comfortable out there. He looked more relaxed. He looked, uh, Greg Hardy looked like when he was walking out there, like he was really trying to prove something and you could kind of tell like it was getting in his head, you know, like he's like, I don't want to get knocked out again. I don't want to get knocked out again. Well, guess what, bro? You got fucking knocked out again. Um, Sergey brings him to the ground and, uh, just brutal, brutal ground and pound to get that TKO finish. Um, I was I was stoked. Uh, I found out this weekend that Greg Hardy beat his wife while he was in the NFL, or girlfriend or wife. I'm not quite sure. Um, I never really followed Greg Hardy when he was in the NFL. I just know he was an ex NFL player coming into the UFC. Um, now that I know that was something to do with the reason why he wasn't picked up by an NFL team after his last contract ended. I'm not quite sure. I'd like to research that and figure out what the actual specifics of that event were. Um, but I mean, I will never bet on Greg Hardy after that shit. You know, I mean, even if he's fucking favored, I'm not betting on Greg Hardy. I'm not beating on a wife beater or a, or a woman beater. Um, fuck that dude. Sergey Spivak. Thanks for doing what all of us wish we could do, dude. Uh, and putting that guy down. Uh, next up, we got Kevin Holland versus Alex Oliveira. Uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira, man. What a little personality this guy is. Um, he looks like uh, he looks like a mixture of Antonio Banderas and uh, what's that dude from Machete? I forget his name, but you know who I'm talking about. The guy with scars all over his face. He's been in every freaking uh, Benicio Del Toro movie and... Uh, 
um, what's his name? Uh, he was in Spy Kids, and he was in Machete, and uh, From Dusk to Dawn. I forget his name off the top of my head. It might come to me, but he looks like a mixture of those two guys. He's just very, what a character, you know, and he was dancing and wiggling. I, it honestly reminded me when Oliveira was at the, uh, the prep before he stepped into the octagon when they were, when they were, uh, vaselining his face and checking his gloves and stuff. And he was dancing. It reminded me of Johnny Walker two weeks ago when he came out there and he was hip thrusting and dancing. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good start. If you're, if you're dancing, walking into the octagon, you're not in a good mental state to win a fight. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Kevin Holland's got this. Kevin Holland's got this. Well, Kevin Holland walks out next and he's busting it down too. Giving us the pelvic thrust, shaking that ass, giving us the good old show. And uh, I'm like, all right, now I don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't look like he's ready to fight either. <laughs> was I wrong? Um, round one, stand-up is looking great. Oliver shoots for a couple takedowns. Holland style, uh, they've, the way they've described before, it's very sporadic and a little bit messy. Um, just it's not the cleanest. He's not. He doesn't have the best flow-flowing movement inside the octagon. It's a little it's a little janky sometimes, you know? And uh, Oliveira was able to get him down to the ground, wrap him up from the back, and going into round one had a submission attempt that I thought was going to... I mean, I'm reminding you, like, I'm watching this fight. I'm looking at the submission attempt. I'm not even looking at the clock right now. I'm not even looking at how much time is left in the round. And I'm seeing, like, Holland's face turn a little purple. And I'm like, oh, shit, he's about to get choked out right now. I'm about to lose this this parlay already and only the second fight of the, the, the main card and luckily there was like five seconds left Holland throws up a double thumbs up letting everyone know he's okay he's not getting choked out the round ends and uh Oliveira walks to his corner looking like he's he, thinking he's got a little momentum going into round two that ain't happening Kevin Holland opens up uh round two swinging bang bang boom bow uh, they go for about four and a half minutes on each other's feet, um, just making great connection with each other. And God, Kevin Holland hits hard. Um, I don't know if it's possible, but I would really, really like to see a fight between Kevin Holland and Jamal Hill. God, would that be fucking incredible. Just two skinny guys with absolutely devastating knockout power. Oh my God, would that be a good fight? Uh, with 30 second, 38 seconds left in round two, Kevin Holland knocks out Alex Oliveira, gets the win. Minus 320 Kevin Holland, plus 250 Oliveira. Um, I'm, I'm riding high now. I'm two out of the five bets, uh, two out of the five fights on the parlay. I'm feeling really good going into this last one, or going into the third one. And unfortunately, this next one is where the parlay hit the fan. So... Um, we get to a featherweight bout between Edison Barboza and Bryce Mitchell. Um, I like Edison Barboza. I've I've watched him fight before. Um, I you guys know my golden rule: don't bet against the Brazilians. Um, Edison Barboza is, I mean, he's a killer, man. His 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 striking is unbelievable. His uh, his judo is unbelievable. The guy is is just an animal when it comes to striking. And he's got kicks and and punches and stuff that will just knock you clear off your feet. He has 13 wins by knockout, one win by submission, and eight wins by decision. Um, his last fight was against uh, 
uh, Giga, uh, Chickadees. Uh, Chickadees, unfortunately, won that fight. I think he knocked out Barboza, but he was another skilled kickboxer, right? So that was just a battle of kickboxers. But before that, uh, Barboza was on a bit of a run. You know, he was on a bit of a, a, a tirade. He had beat uh, Burgess by knockout. Then he had beat uh, a, a Murkahani by decision. Um, lost to Dan Ige by split decision, who is an amazing fighter. Uh, lost to Paul Felder by decision, who is an amazing fighter. So Barboza has the absolute capability of, of winning this fight, right? In my head, going into this weekend, right? What I failed to do, and which I will not make this mistake again, right? I failed to anticipate motherfucking Bryce Mitchell. Oh my God, do I have a new kid that I'm obsessed with. Um, they call him uh, the redneck Khabib. <laughs> Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell, uh, a good old corn-fed Arkansas boy, you know? He, he trains in his barn. He's got his gym in his barn. He rides around in a wheelchair because he got it for 40 bucks. It was a $350 wheelchair he got for 40 bucks, and he don't know one day if he going to need a wheelchair. I mean, the things that come out of this kid's mouth are unbelievable. Just fucking awesome. Um, listen to this. Total strikes for the night for this fight, right? This fight went three rounds. Mitchell won by decision. Total strikes... 182 for Mitchell, 23 for Barboza. 34 significant strikes for Mitchell, 16 for Barboza. Four takedown attempts, four successful takedowns for Mitchell. Zero attempts, zero takedowns for Barboza. Um, I had no idea Bryce Mitchell could wrestle. All right? I... Also didn't know, because I saw his one loss, didn't know that was prior to entering the octagon. This kid's undefeated in UFC right now. Um, what a fucking character. Oh my god, I love this kid. I'm, I'm, and, and it was kind of the, like, I, and I told you guys earlier, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not enthralled. I'm not upset that I lost this parley. Obviously, it would have been a lot better to win. We would have made some money. You know, but it was 25 bucks. I'm not sweating it, you know, to watch this kid put an absolute clinic on Edison Barboza to me was more beneficial in this moment than winning this parlay because now I got some I got some great, great insight on Bryce Mitchell going into the future. Um, the kid's strong. He'll he can absolutely put you down with a punch. But once he gets you to the ground, the kid is able to just put so much pressure on his shoulders and his upper torso on top of you where you are defenseless. You can't move. I watched Edison Barboza for 15 minutes scramble on the ground trying to catch his breath and gain any kind of, of momentum. And as soon as that momentum swapped from Bryce Mitchell to Edison Barboza, Mitchell took it right back with another takedown. I mean, the kid, to me, based on that fight, Seems like an absolute liability for anyone in this division. It's it's it was truly truly an amazing fight to watch. Um, featherweight, I I don't know what's going to happen in this featherweight division moving forward. Um, 
let's go ahead and I just want to look at this real quick. Featherweight UFC division. I want to see what we're looking at right here as far as uh, as far as who's in this division and, and 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 where they're where they're at and ranked right now. All right. Let's go ahead and let that load for a second. Because if I had a guess, I think it's the Vulcan. This is the Volkanovski division. So I'm I'm curious to see what's going on with this. Yeah. So this is the. Volkanovski, number one, our champ right now. Then Holloway, Ortega, Calvin Qatar. Um, I, I I don't know where. I don't know where Bryce Mitchell falls on this list. Let's see if he made the ranks after this past weekend. It's a. Uh, give me one second, guys. I'm just pulling up right now. Um, I mean, dear dear Lord. This kid is is on a is going to be on a tirade. I mean, just based on his wrestling, I don't know who's going to be able to handle him. Um, Volkanovski obviously is a ridiculous striker. So is Holloway. Ortega loves the ground game and, and can submit the fuck out of you. But I have this wrestling performance by Bryce Mitchell over Edison Barboza was so definitive and so like. I mean, it, 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 there wasn't a shadow of the doubt watching after the end of the first round where I thought, oh, Barboza could make a comeback from this. You know, it it just wasn't in the cards. It wasn't in it wasn't possible for. It, it wasn't possible for Barboza to get anything going on this kid. You know, it's it's a situation now where. I feel like Mitchell can work his way up through the ranks doing this same kind of strategy he took towards he took towards uh Edison Barbosa and and really make a nice shot for this. So let's let's go real quick, ready? So Edison Barbosa dropped down from 10 ranked to 11 with that fight and unranked Bryce Mitchell is now ranked 9. So we got a top 10 contender with Bryce Mitchell. Oh, I mean, I'm in love with this kid. Just fucking awesome. Um, Giga Chickadees could easily go down by Bryce Mitchell. Um, Calvin Qatar, I think, would be a great next fight for Bryce Mitchell. Uh, I think Brian Ortega versus Bryce Mitchell would be a hell of a fight coming up. Um, Ah, man, this division is so cool. This is such a great division. I mean, we know Alexander Volkanovsky is fighting the Korean Zombie coming soon. I don't think Bryce Mitchell gets a title shot right after that. I think Bryce Mitchell's got to win one more fight before he gets a title shot. Um, maybe versus a Yair Rodriguez or a Brian Ortega, uh, 9 versus 2 or a 9 versus 3 rank. Obviously, would definitely put him in contention for a title shot next. So, super looking forward to uh, watching Bryce Mitchell progress through this division. I think this kid is, I mean, out of everyone I watched this weekend, I am most excited to watch and continue to watch the career of Bryce Mitchell. Um, like I said, not even mad I lost the parlay because it was this kid I lost to. So, uh, Bryce, you got a new fan, dude. Tommy Guntoni, I'm riding for you, Bryce Mitchell. Let's go. Uh, thug Nasty all the way. All right? Okay, so back to the card. So obviously right there, our parlay goes out the door. 
Um, next, we have our catchweight bout between Rafael Dos Anjos and uh, Renato Moicano. Um, this was a five-round fight that was supposed to be between Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faizev. Rafael Faizev gets COVID. Renato Moicano comes in on a, on a one-week notice, right? Um, minus 165 Dos Anjos, minus 145 Moicano. These odds, to me, seemed a little whack because for four rounds, Rafael Dos Anjos beat the shit out of Renato Moicano to the point where Joe Rogan, um, Michael Bisping, Dan Onik, they were all wondering when the referee was going to stop this fight. All right? And not stop it during the fight because he was getting ground and pound. Stop it between rounds because of the damage this guy was fucking taking. I mean, Renato Moicano looked fucked up after that fourth round, right? There was a, a moment where we thought in between the fourth and the fifth, the fight was going to get called and it was going to be it was going to be a, uh, a medical disqualification for Renato Moicano and Rafael was going to get the win. He ends up letting him fight the round. He's like, if you don't defend yourself and do something this round, I'm going to call the fight. Moicano says, yep, got it. Goes into round five and oh my God, Renato Moicano emptied the gas tank to the fullest extent of the definition. I mean, was wobbling Rafael Dos Anjos for a little bit. That being said, there they were saying in the commentary that it seemed like Rafael Dos Anjos kind of put on the brakes a little bit going into round five. Um, he may have had, I mean, not he may have had, the man had respect for Renato Moicano taking that fight on seven-day notice. So there was speculation that he was putting, uh, putting his foot on the brake a little bit just so that he was showing a little bit of respect towards Moicano and didn't just want to obliterate him in the fifth round. At this point, he's already winning four out of five rounds unless he spiced... Uh, a miracle gets knocked out by Moicano. He was winning that fight. Um, that being said, Moicano never gave up. Uh, there were moments where you you see in fighters when they're getting ground and pound where they go into that fetal position and they take those punches until the ref calls the fight. Like You look like they don't want to fight anymore. He never did that. He was constantly repositioning when he was on the ground. He was constantly trying to get back up. He never uh, uh, seemed like he was... Um, unable to fight in the sense that like he stopped throwing punches the guy went hard for 25 fucking minutes and i got nothing but respect for renato moicano taking this fight on seven day notice um rafael dos Anjos is going to put himself in a position now to possibly get another title fight before the end of this year and i think that's great he's a vet and he's got um i think he's tied now for the third most or fourth most wins in the ufc um i i after this fight, I just looked at both of them. I'm like, wow, respect you, Rafael, for the performance you just put on um, and the uh, restraint that you had towards the end of the fight as to not literally kill this man. And then I got respect for Renato Moicano for absolutely just emptying the gas tank, leaving it all in the octagon. Blood, sweat, and tears were left on that mat. And I can't see Renato Moicano going home after that and saying to himself, like, damn, I didn't do everything that I could. Because the guy has got nothing but heart. So, shout out to both these guys. Uh, really enjoyed watching this fight. Um, especially that last round where it was just, I mean, just throwing everything in that last round. Mc McConaughey was looking for that knockout. And uh, 
it, it looked at some point like he, he might have even gotten it. So uh, he was very close to getting it. Um, Dos Anjos just kind of got a little sleepy in that last round, whether it was on purpose or not. But it's uh, it was a, it was a great fight. All right, last fight of the night. Then I'm going to let you guys go because we're probably pushing the longest episode we have here. Um, Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, we all know about the drama going into this fight. Colby was talking shit. Uh, Jorge was talking shit. Jorge is mad at Colby for stiffing uh, the coach that they shared in the last fight. I guess Colby, uh, after the Usman fight, did not pay uh, the coach that him and Jorge shared. And Jorge looks at that that uh, coach as a father figure to him in his MMA career. So it's got a lot of respect. So that created a lot of bad blood between these guys. I mean, their shit talking was, was crazy. I mean, uh, Colby was co- was calling him, uh, where Jorge has been called street Jesus in the past. Colby was calling him street Judas, um, because he had betrayed him. Um, he, both of them were calling out shots of being unfaithful to each other's respective partners. I mean, it was, it was crazy. The low blows these guys were taking and, um, they get in the octagon and Jorge Masvidal shit the bed plain and simple. Uh, he had nothing but like excuse. I mean, it really wasn't an excuse. It was kind of like, I feel like it was more of acceptance. The fact that he realized like, Oh, I fucked up big time. You know, like I didn't, I was not prepared for this fight and he wasn't in, in, in no world was Jorge ready for the kind of beatdown Colby gave him, Colby Covington gave him. Um, I personally think Jorge needs at least two years of nonstop wrestling to even get close to being on the same caliber as Colby with that ground game. Um, had this been a fight where you're not allowed to take each other down, would have been much more interesting. Obviously, Jorge's got crazy knockout power. Colby's got knockout power. They both could have put each other's lights out at any time had this fight stay on the feet. That's not Colby Covington. Colby's going to strike you, and he's going to wait for you to fuck up and make an opportunity so he can take you to the ground, wrestle you, get behind you, take your back, and go for that choke. Um, that either that rear naked choke or a guillotine choke, whatever. I mean, the 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 craziest thing I noticed, and I mentioned it briefly earlier, was that Colby like does not he doesn't have a uh, um, like a rabbit speed and a turtle speed. Like it's all fucking rabbit. Like the bell rings of the round, and before Mo- Jorge Masvidal is even out of his corner, Colby's already all the way across the octagon in your face, stalking you down. I mean, the ring control alone, just making Jorge move around and and and, and controlling where Jorge went was extremely masterful. Um, Colby looked phenomenal on this fight. And I would have loved to see this Colby Covington that we saw against Jorge Masvidal against Usman. The last time we saw Usman fight. I think that fight could have potentially been a split decision rather than a unanimous decision had Colby fought Usman the way he had fought Jorge this time. Um, kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier. If, 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 sorry guys, we had some technical issues. Um, this is it. I'm wrapping this fucking thing up. Bottom line is Colby did what he needed to do to secure that win. Right. Um, 
he's now put himself in a position where he could fight Usman again. And like I was saying, if he performs the way he did against Masvidal and is able to secure takedowns on Kamaru Usman in that same fashion, um, I think that fight is drastically different than the first time we saw them fight or the most recent time we saw them fight. Um, Colby could 100% win the welterweight, win the welterweight division and take the belt from Kamaru Usman. Uh, if that opportunity is given to him. Um, that being said, Kamaru Usman is still the pound for pound best fighter in MMA. And that's going to require, uh, Colby to, uh, take an even more intense camp now than he had, uh, for Jorge, um, anything that we saw from Colby against Jorge has to be amplified times 10 if he's fighting Usman. Uh, Usman is much harder to take to the ground than Masvidal was. Um, and we we noticed the last time they fought, if, if Colby can't get Usman to the ground in the same fashion that he did Jorge, there's really there's really probably going to be no difference than the last time they fought. And Usman probably touches him up enough to uh, secure that win. Um, so last thing I'll say is there was a uh, side bet that I did take um, before this last fight. Uh, it was uh, basically just, I, I wanted to either hedge my bet, my parlay, like my $25 parlay. And I was going to do it by betting Colby to win by unanimous decision. Um, I thought this fight was going to go the distance. My friend, however, uh, we're going to call him Jocko in this situation. Jocko told me that, uh, these guys hate each other so much. There's no way it's going to go past the fifth round. Uh, someone's going to end this fight at some point. Um, and it was plus 100. The fight doesn't go the distance and minus 115, uh, Colby wins by decision. So, I unfortunately didn't listen to my instinct and I bet the fight would end before the fifth round or end uh, the fight would not go the distance. And I did even money, 20, 25 to win 25, trying to hedge my bet. And of course that didn't hit. But listen, I mean, I'm not sweating minus 50. It wasn't like last week where we were minus 140 for the night. Um, still going to take a break this weekend and just score the fights um, as best as I can. Um, and, and kind of take a, a, a one weekend break from placing a bet, especially cause like I said earlier, I don't really know to the extent everyone on, uh, this card very well for this fight night weekend coming up. Um, but like I said, it'll give me a really good opportunity to practice scoring and, uh, sit down with a paper and pen and try to score this fight. Like I was a judge sitting ringside, you know, um, I, I really do think, uh, I'm going to bounce back. You know, I feel, I'm feeling good after this uh, four out of five parlay hit. And uh, I think we got some great fight weekends coming up that I'm going to be able to get some sweet, sweet redemption. So, uh, listen, guys, this has been a great episode. I'm sorry it's been a little long, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. And I will see you guys back on Thursday for uh, fight predictions. All right. This is Tommy Guntoni and the Angry Ape, and we are out.